0: Canine Detection Collaborative! A Detection Dog Training Trio! With Stacey Barnett!
1: Hi! Robin Grubo! Hey there! And Crystal Wing! What's up? With humor and a big dose of theory, our trio talks practical training advice and features interviews with top trainers and scientists. It's Canine Detection Collaborative! Welcome back to the Canon Detection Collaborative. I am here with Stacy Barnett on the road, heading to Florida. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> and Robin Gruel, home base in Iowa. Greetings. And I'm here with my partial paralysis vocal fold in Missouri. So thanks so much for putting up with this a little bit off voice, everybody. It's been a, a fun adventure, and it kind of brought us into a bit of our topic today about tinkering. So playing with our training, playing with what we have based on what we have right in front of us at this moment. And I've had to do a lot of tinkering lately because my dogs very much rely on words (laughs) and I'm finding that I don't quite sound the same. And so they're not, I'll say air quotes, hearing me like they used to. And also this was inspired by a post that Denise Finzi shared yesterday. And I shared it and was like, you guys, like, yeah, this could be a good topic. And she was talking specifically about bite work. We do Mondial Ring and dabble in PSA and some IGP. And she was talking about, you have to have a lot of obedience and bite work. And it's about the balance of arousal. If you bite too much, then they get too high. If they don't bite enough, they get too high. And so there's always a sweet spot. And then there's also how long do you train? How should your session be? Because the behavior falls apart if you go too long, but if you don't go enough, then there's also that kind of lack of intensity that happens. And so she's talking about how he can get frantic and you know this whole arousal idea. So it's all about balance. And the last sentence is what made me go, yes, you guys, this, we do this so much. It'd be great to talk about. And the last sentence says, and honestly, it's as much a process of trial and error as it is a training plan. So we're going to talk about that trial and error and that tinkering and how it's helped us through some stories, the pros and cons of it. And let's do this.
0: I want to admit to something that's happened just this week. I did one of those, I was working on Brahma's healing, right? And I was working. On getting the toy off my body. And I know Crystal, you and I were talking about some ideas being more successful at this. This is before, you know, we kind of came up with, or you came up with some of those ideas. So I had the toy on the ground and she had a couple of really amazing repetitions. But because I was kind of tinkering, I did make a mistake and I did not necessarily pay enough attention to the difficulty that. Really, all that she was trying so hard to kind of keep it together. And I admit I trained. It, the next rep was ugly. And I'm like, oh, I was ugly. I trained till, I was, till it was ugly. And it was like one of these things where it's an example of I tinkered a little bit, but I tinkered a little too much. But I learned something. And I'm like, all right. So next time, that wasn't the right way to help her. And I need to try to figure out, and this is why, I mean, Crystal and I were talking about this, like, earlier, is what are some other options to be able to help her get the reinforcement off my body? Because that was just a little bit too much for her, and it was just really good information. And, right, kiddo, that's a lot of information for me. And it's just one of those things, it's like sometimes that tinkering, like, sometimes it comes out and it looks really pretty, and sometimes you're like, okay. Not that one. There's stuff I need to do different things. Not that one. That, that was the wrong answer.
2: Right. Well, and I run into the fact that after, i true believer in progression plans, right? I do lots and lots of progression plan stuff, very objective-based training. And sometimes some dogs make leaps where other dogs don't or dogs, I have to figure out a different way. The behavior that I'm still getting is the same, but how that specific dog is learning may not, they might blow through, oh, we go from the the toy or the cat being six inches above the ground to the cat being on the ground. And... I just have to mess with a few things sometimes. And Well, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? And they're like, oh, finally, hey, I got this. It was really interesting. We know we're talking about tinkering. And while I've been down with knee surgery, Julia and Alyssa have been training the dogs. And we were going over what they were working on. And they were like, it's the weirdest thing. It's like Bristol forgot how to do her train final response. And I'm like, what do you mean? And Julia was explaining to me that they actually had to go through of a little, is it the fact that, is it where odor's at? Is it that it's a different odor? Is it, does odor need to be in a can? All of these things. And they finally narrowed it down to the fact that as soon as they put her on leash, she's like, I don't know how to do it on leash. Wow. Right. It was that simple. And putting any pressure on her collar. She's like, I don't know how to do that with pressure on my collar. Because 90% of my training is done, done off leash. Off yes. yes. Yeah. And yeah. so unless they had tinkered a little bit. Yeah. They
0: wouldn't know that. Right. They wouldn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes you have dogs that like make the nest feet for you yeah and then you're like that's unexpected now what that that can happen also yeah i mean that kind of happened to me when i was working with prize and we're working on her train final response right and she went to find the person and i was trying to change the return behavior and she took a couple cookies from the person Fun and then ran towards me and I'm like, oh crap! Now what? I haven't cued it, and so I had to start to think quickly about what to do. So I cued the return so that I could make sure that I had a clean, a clean behavior chain. Right. But it was like one of these things where I'm like, wow, you made that leap fast, really fast. Than I yeah. So that is kind of like this whole thing about you have to almost think on your feet, which I think is another aspect of tinkering. Correct. Is that they're thinking about it from a lot of different perspectives, but you've got to be observing the dog in front of you. And observing the dog in front of you also means that you've got to think on your feet. We don't, sometimes you're going to have the right answers and sometimes you're not.
1: Yeah, I think we have to kind of build it. if I say like a tinkerer's mindset, because <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, to be a good tinker, you have to be flexible. You have to be curious. I'm an art teacher. So Bob Ross, happy accidents. <laughs> and I think that all of this has to be part of our training journey. And I think people that are more adaptable and not fearing failure are probably a little more adept at being able to tinker and kind of letting go of some of the rigidity of some of the plans because I see it. There's the dogmatizing about a specific training method. There's over-analyzing, over-planning. Like That's something my dad really taught me over winter break. We were working on building the uh, IPOR and RH equipment for the dexterity. And so there's a a swing, there's an unstable plank, a, a plank. And I really wanted to plan everything. I wanted to draw it all out. I wanted to have all this. And I was doing that and he went out to the barn and I came out and he already had some stuff started and I was starting to build it. And I was like, but, but what, what are we going to do here? <laughs> and he's like, it's close enough. I'm just tinkering around. And he actually said that and his ideas were brilliant. Now, if he would have waited an extra second, the one board would have been long enough, but still. <laughs> we had extra material to play with. And I'm always so like, no, I don't want to waste. No, I, so I, it's funny how he's even more of a tinkerer than I. And so it it was a really great lesson for me.
0: So I have a question here in terms of like your comfort in kind of what you're doing. I think to some extent, I think can contribute to how comfortable you are. This may not have anything to do with like building but but I was just kind of thinking about more in terms of dog training. Right. Right? Like if you never let's pretend that you've never trained a dog to do a trained final response ever, right? I'm gonna just use that as and you're trying to train it because because we know that it's a series of steps the only reason why I'm giving that as an example. And let's say you've never trained it before and you don't really have an idea of how those steps are going to come together, I think it becomes more complicated to tinker. Now, it doesn't mean that you've ever trained. It becomes that. scary. It, it's scary. But I think if you've trained, like, so for instance, I've never trained the fine refine, but I've trained, I trained final response, and I've trained other related types of things. And I have you giving me ideas at the same time. But if you've never like done any like any kind of I'm just using a train final response as an example, right? In detection it's your first dog that you're teaching to search and you're trying to do a train final response. I think that could be very
1: serious. I think it's based on your experience and confidence for sure, because I didn't really have guidance at the very beginning. And it was just, well, you need to have your dog tell you when they found the thing. So because I have trained other things, I actually liked the freedom of tinkering to figure it out because I didn't have someone telling me exactly how to do it. So I could look at my dog and how he learns and being a neurodivergent dog that Yukon is, I knew that I was going to have to do things slightly differently. And I think I could have been more frustrated if somebody would have told me how to do it because I don't know that he would have followed those steps quite the way that other dogs would have. So I can see it both ways.
0: Do you think it has to do, because I've been thinking a lot about criteria and behavior change, a lot, especially criteria. And if you don't know the, and this is again, I'm just kind of thinking out loud and hypothesizing that if you're not comfortable with the how criteria works or how to manipulate criteria or...
2: I think it's the training process and knowing exactly where you have to end up.
1: Yes, that's it.
2: What that goal is, if somebody just told me, hey, your dog has to tell you that it found odor and Crystal had training chops. She knows this is how I train and end behavior. But if you don't have an example of this is oh my god if you would have told me a couple like five years ago that I would have been all enthralled with teaching a sit and stare because (laughs) it's a super cool challenge for me to train I would have told you that yeah okay whatever but now it's a lot of fun and yeah it happens to be my go-to but that doesn't mean it's great for everybody so I think a lot of the times it comes down to what are people comfortable playing with. And then our society in general is very anti-failure
1: and
0: risk averse
2: and risk averse. And Crystal gave me, I, I don't like remember.
0: There's a, a right and a wrong. Like for everything. Right and, wrong,
2: but... and, and Crystal gave, and I use this a ton. and. I don't remember what training you we were doing but you were talking to one of the students and you said basically I look at the dog if something goes wrong and says thank you for the information and it became such a great way to be non-judgmental about a failure that just happened yeah and take it as a data point because I hate to tell all of you who are dog trainers that you're a you modify behavior. That's what you do and in order to modify your behavior you have to be able to take good data. And one of the things I have people call me all the time, oh my God Robin, my dog did this during its search or during its train final response and they like they have to unload right because they're like, oh my god, my dog walked odor. Blah, 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 blah. And they they go on and they do this whole thing. And my first question typically is, is this an outlier or has this happened before? And I usually get a nice long pause because they have to review all of their little training videos in their head. Right. And depending on the person, I might get, well, no, this is what usually happens. And then I start asking more questions. Or occasionally I get the no, well, they've never done it before. And I'm like, let's not make a mountain out of a molehill. Right. You got to take more data. And can you recreate the problem? If you can't recreate the problem, then it's really not a problem. It was a weird thing because they're dogs. Yeah. But just, just know it. So I think that now on the other side of that, I will tell people to be conscious about the fact that if you are tinkering and the dog is showing you a series of behaviors that you don't really like, you should stop. Yes, because you don't want to train stuff that you have to untrain later. Right. It's okay to just walk away and be done.
0: Exactly. You know, I just put out that a uh, post, right, for some nose work, where I was talking about how because I, I use a lot with nose work where people get. So like focused on finding the hype that they forgot to look at the behavior chain and keeping that behavior chain clean. And when you start to see things pop up and you're struggling, if you're struggling, there's a reason for that. And it means something is going weird. And if it's a one-off situation, that's one thing. But if you start to feel this and you look at what's going on you do have to ask yourself, are you building that into what you're your
2: doing? Your chain, right.
0: Yeah, so if you're tinkering, you just want to, you do want to be careful. You're absolutely correct, where you, you want to be careful that you're not incorporating that into your behavior chain. Yes. So I think as you're tinkering, ask you, w- you really want to ask yourself fundamental questions about what the dog is giving you. And I think that's how we can start to interpret you know that information because I, I love that phrase. Thank you for the information because it kind of goes back to my original example of dealing with Brava, right? Yeah. And it wasn't just the fact that she would all of a sudden check out and go for the toy, right? It was I'm looking at her and I'm seeing I'm seeing an arousal that I don't like. I'm seeing facial expressions that tells me this is too much, and I'm and I'm toast. So that's good information for me because it tells me what really, it gives me a lot of information about kind of where her, her mental limits are on maybe the duration of the training, et cetera, et cetera. But if you start to see basically the qualities of what you're working start to diminish, then you have to kind of ask yourself more fundamental questions and, And those are the pieces that that you really, that information helps us form how good those
1: fundamentals are. I think there's a really important thing here that sets trainers apart. And I think the skill is observation because you talked about the things that you specifically look for with your dog. And so many trainers, especially as you're beginning, you don't know what to look for. And even if you see things, you may not know exactly what they mean. I think about when I very first started teaching, we had to do so many hours of observation. And I honestly think a lot of those hours were a waste in the way that they were presented. I watched a lot of teaching, but guess what? I didn't know what to look for. Right. So until I had someone actually help me understand what to look for, and until I was in the classroom, then I was ready to go, okay, how did they handle that? how did they take care of that before it became a problem? And how did they identify that it was becoming a problem? And those were things as a student that I couldn't see. And now it's interesting when I have student teachers come in that I can see exactly where they're going because I've been there. And I can go, hey, hold on. If you keep doing that, this is going to happen. And you see that kid over there. So you need to look at your antecedent arrangements. And I think Kathy Sadeo just did a a really good webinar on that. And she talked about like the humane hierarchy, you know. And she said, so much of it is we go to positive reinforcement and differential reinforcement, but really it's about setting up your environment, those antecedent arrangements. And then I know I just did a post too, Stacey. It was kind of fun how these are all relating and we didn't even plan this. Yeah. But I brought up the the proverb that don't look where you fell, but where you slipped. Uh And so much of that is we can't recognize until we have fallen and then still at that point we look at oh crap here we are instead of where do we just come from and that's the power of really good trainers comes from experience and observation because we can observe what just happened as clearly as what's happening now and we can almost predict the future and it's it's a really powerful fun place to be
2: it's so interesting that we're having this particular conversation because a lot of time yeah, I get the phone call. I just got a puppy. I don't want to screw it up. Oh yeah, I just got a puppy. I you know I am I did this this and this. I don't want to. I did that with the last dog. I don't want to screw it up. And my first response is, "Don't worry, you're going to screw up this puppy. It's just going to be different than how you screwed up the last puppy because it's a different puppy. Yeah. It's a different puppy, but. What happens as trainers and as you train more dogs, you start seeing a behavior and you're like, oh, I have to stop that now because I know, because two dogs ago, Uh I let that behavior go on and then it turned into this.
0: Yeah, and it it is interesting how then, how quickly the dogs start to train almost train themselves. Yes. It's like you're you you can see like, well, you can almost see 12 steps ahead. You know, like, well, I make this modification now. And it just is like it gets easier.
2: Yeah. And you go through and the other interesting thing for me is I've been on a puppy roll for the last six years. And once you you kind of get into that whole entire I've okay, like every year I had one or two new, I had a one or two, or in case I was really crazy, I did three new dogs all in like a six-month time period.
0: Yeah, that was crazy.
2: Yeah, that was nuts. (laughs) Don't do that, people. (laughs) I love them all, but don't do it. You get a pattern and you realize how, well, one and I skip steps. And I'm understanding that now in some of the behavior I'm seeing out of the dogs as they're a little bit older, but they all are still really solid in some of the stuff that I'm like, this is core stuff that I know they absolutely have to be able to do. So I think that it's been fun. Crystal and I did a lot of tinkering and some training this earlier this year with the bird dog stuff. And everything from teaching them how to be really precise on coming back into left or right heel, or the fact that at the beginning, Flair wouldn't pick up a bird. She thought dead birds were gross. (laughs) So
0: I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah,
2: I was never so excited to have my dog pick up a dead bird. And when Flair was like, oh, sure, fine. Okay, I'll pick it up and bring it back. (laughs) <laughs> and some of that was just we i had a suggestion from a, a friend of put the frozen bird in a sock and throw the sock a white sock because it then looks like a bumper okay and then we just progressed through there and it really took us only about two days to get her to the point where wow. she'd pick up a dead bird so oh wow. yeah That was really
0: fun. That's another thing going back to like what Crystal was saying about observation. Is it also the fact that because you can observe very small things that tell you, yes, I want that. And you know what good looks like in very small increments. Yes. So it's kind of like you see the little glimmer like, yeah, that's it. Right. And, And it doesn't get like forgotten and like lost in the wash. You're able
2: to respond to it. It comes down to, I mean, timing and observation are mechanical skills that trainers must have. But
0: you have to know what good looks like.
2: You have to know what good looks like. You also have to be able to recognize and, and get the, the click or the timing of the reinforcement in there to capture oh, yeah. that behavior. I think that, and tinkering, I always watch, Crystal, when she's here for the summer, where she's like, Well, I'm trying to figure out how to teach this year. It was teaching Checkmate how to do the nose to your palm to help with the retrieve and just watch you with your loopy training kind of try to get the idea across to him that no, this is now the thing that I'm asking for. And or watch Crystal play with the dog, how she can cycle through so many things and tinker with the dog to figure out really jazzes that dog.
1: It's always amazing to me. That was something that we just did this week that I thought was kind of interesting or fun. I started off playing with radish and I was doing whistle recalls because, well, I don't have my voice. And so I'm like, okay, I need to get serious about something now. So I'm doing the whistle recall and I have my little electronic whistle, which I love by the way, because even blowing through the whistle, it like tickles my throat and makes me cough. So this has been the best investment. So we're having fun with this and I felt like I got her in this perfect like arousal. She was just spot on. And so I immediately went into healing because I really want to have powerful healing. (laughs) And yeah. it was so pretty. And I rewarded with the toy, wow. she got a little too high. So I did a, a long food toss and a whistle recall right back into more healing. And I always ask my teammates, my club, you know, like, can I get some feedback? And two of our newer club members both were like, that was so unexpected and so pretty. And that felt so wow. nice. And it was just, but in that moment, you know, I was just reading that. That level of intensity that she was giving. And it was some of our prettiest yeah. healing. And it felt so nice. And they thought, why we thought you were just going to do whistle recall the whole time. I was like, I did too. I thought I was going to do that and play, but she was so into it. I loved it. You guys, you just melted my brain a little because I like to do things like mnemonics. And I always hear a timing criteria, rate of reinforcement. Like that's been beaten my head. Yes. But what about court? Now I think it's really about court. You know what that is? Yeah. Criteria, uh-huh. observation, uh huh, understanding, oh, understanding,
2: you understanding uh-huh. reinforcement and timing.
0: Oh, C-O-U-R-T. Yes. Yes. Okay, so criteria, observation, and understanding, reinforcement, timing. Yes. yes.
1: That just blew my mind because I have to know, like. That was like, yes, that is really the secret sauce in my brain now. So it's not just the criteria, the timing, the rate of reinforcement, but you also have to be a good observer. But like you said, Stacy, you have to understand what it is that you're looking for. You have to understand the criteria. You have to understand what you need to mark and how to mark that with your timing. So that understanding piece is just as important. And if we don't have the observation piece, what do we have? Like none of that other stuff is going to be effective. Yeah.
0: It also goes back to reading, reading the dog, right? And I see a lot of people, especially do at Notebook, so I'm going to use Post example, that have a hard time reading their dog. And I don't mean necessarily, this goes back to the clean behavior change. I don't necessarily mean what we talk about reading the dog, you know, did the dog have a behavior I'm talking more about observations of how well the dog is focusing and what the dog is actually focusing on. And because we talk about clean behavior change and I find that the focus has to be a big part of that. That I think sometimes people are not necessarily sure how focused their dog is It comes down to needing to have that understanding of the observation. Yes. And it, it is. And that is so fundamental, I think, to learning how to really read your dog when
2: they're doing odor work. I think it's actually fundamental on how to read your dog, as in when I walk in, can I read my dog? Doing when everything. My, yeah, doing everything.
0: Yeah, doing everything.
2: Yeah. This is one of the ways where I quickly can modify, well, I thought we were going to work on this today, but all of a sudden, because we've shown up in this new location and I have a young dog and all of a sudden 21-year-old guys with scary hair are really scary, guess what we're doing today? We're getting treats from college students. That's what we're doing today. We're not doing detection work. And so it's being able to I guess in a certain aspect and it goes back to tinkering for me is I can show up I can have my whole training plans organized and set out and doing whatever and all of a sudden the dog says no I'm we're working on this today and in my world that's a bigger issue than doing detection work I'll get my steps in going around and picking my hides back up I got to do it
1: anyway but we'll work on the other thing it's fine That's where I think the tinkering and the definitive plan, the progression plans, they both have their merits. And I think we need to be able to have both because I think foundation skills like basic obedience, I need a really clear plan. That's going to be super helpful. But for those complex tasks, especially when we get into scent detection, trick training, you know, I think tinkering is one of those. We need that for fine tuning. We need that for adapting to the individual. And I think that what I really found with tinkering is that I have a deeper understanding of my individual dog. And I mean, they just are so different. I, I, really, I think the biggest compliment people will give me was when they say, each of your dogs have such a distinct personality. And I, I really appreciate that because it tells me that one, I can adapt to different personalities, that there's not like a type that I can only train that type. Right. Because they're very, very different. But it also is saying that I'm not making them fit into my like square, you know, whatever I, you know, I'm trying to whatever the round hole square, whatever. Instead, I'm letting them be who they are. And to me, that is the biggest compliment. And I think that's part of, you know, my ADHD too, but I have a hard time sticking to that plan all the time. So I think it, it is good to have that both blended. You have the solid framework but you have that room for experimentation and adjustment.
0: It's it's the flexibility, right? I mean, a lot of what you're talking about with tinkering, and it's kind of like how that tinkering kind of gets buried to the progression plan is all through flexibility of the handler, over the trainer, right? So it's all about that flexibility. And it's how you're able to use that flexibility based off of Going back to your COURT. Yeah. So it's kind of like how you enable
1: that. But I'm looking at the individual, you know, like I think about Brava.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. She is a dog that needs very, very consistent, no changes, needs to know what's going to happen and needs that clear communication. Now, all dogs need that, but it's in differing levels. I look at Yukon and he needs that, but what he also needs he has to be empowered and feel like he's making choices and it's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) It's really made it such an interesting experience with him because if he thinks that it's something that I want and it's something that he's not all in on, I have to figure out how to make him feel like he is, you know, has autonomy and, And it's like, dude, you're the dumbest dog I have. Like, I wouldn't give you those choices. (laughs) So really it's about controlling his environment and making it the, the choices I want become easier for him to make instead of the things that he wants.
2: I'll be perfectly honest. That was training Ray. She was very opinionated and things had to be her idea. Yeah. And it's mentally exhausting on how to make those correct choices be their idea. And, and which goes back to being creative and tinkering around. Well, okay, that didn't work. And that didn't work. Well, okay, how about this one? And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, that's what you wanted. Uh, you're like, dude, we could have got that three days ago. If you <laughs> <would."> <laughs> Anyway.
0: But when I, going back to Brava though, if I'm doing odor work, she, does not like things to be predictable like because yeah. if it's predictable, <laughs> it's boring, right? Yeah. And when I and when she gets bored, she loses her engagement. So for her odor work, she does really well with stuff that's unpredictable. That she has she's on a very, very smart dog. And it's like if she can start problem solving, she loves the problem solving of the odor work. But you're right, if I'm doing obedience, she's like, don't make big changes on me because that's not what I expected. Yeah. And it, and then she gets she gets them. she gets a she yells at a lot loudly. Very loudly.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking back about Yukon when I was first trying to figure out his train final response. He had a yeah. really nice down with a nose freeze on the thing because I wasn't doing cadaver stuff. I was just doing fun, like find a Kong. And uh-huh. then once cadaver came into the picture, that's very tasty for him. Oh. Um, <laughs> so now I have the issue of how do I get him to down and stare at it and not eat it? I mean, that's like putting dessert in front of someone and saying, put your nose on it, but don't actually enjoy it. None for you. <laughs> right. So I had to really tinker with a lot of ways of communicating to him that I need you to lay down, but back up. And that was my criteria was I had to figure out how can I get you to go to source, put your nose to it like you want to, but don't lick it, don't eat it, and now back up and lay down. I, oh, the conversations we
2: had about that, and I the most ingenuity or ingenious way you ended up addressing that was source in a cricket cage. Yeah. So as soon as he knocked it over it actually became an immediate feedback loop for him that that was too close. And so it's interesting I also think that finding trainers who are willing to help support your tinkering mindset yeah. is incredibly oh, important.
0: Cute. Cute. Yeah. Dude, that's actually what I love about I like like the three of you like oh, i'm the three of us right, of <laughs> right. I, I can't count here i'm having problems counting so seriously like the two of you like just being able to have these conversations and it's no surprise that, that people listening that we call each other up and go
2: i'm having a problem with this
0: right <laughs> you know and that's actually the that's one of the things i like Just love like chatting with you guys. It's just, you
2: just start looking at things. Just the way and well, and like Crystal knows that I think training pivot is like the bane of my existence. So she's like, well, try this and try this and try this. I'm like, no, I'm just going to do this, which is. And it didn't help that Radish learned it in two reps. I was no, like, oh, it did not. <laughs> and Robin's over here struggling for a week with Flair and Flair's like, you're dumb. Just do it this way. Okay, fine. <laughs> and eventually I will teach a pivot, but all of the different ways that you can go about teaching all of the same behaviors. And it does go back to, and you know, one of the things that I want to encourage people to understand, you go to trainings, you watch these, you watch people train a dog and they have, Super cool methodologies, or you're like, oh my god, I'm going to buy the thing because it's going to be the best thing ever,
0: and oh, or that tool or that 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 gadget box. like a oh, that, gadget. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about like tools, like tools, but I'm talking about gadgets. Like, yeah.
2: And it really comes down to the fact that that trainer has really good timing and observation skills.
0: It's not the gadget,
2: right? It's not the gadget and seems to really really that trainer can play in their methodology right because they they've seen it enough times that they've used that particular gadget they've seen dogs throw all sorts of things with that gadget so they know how to get the dog to where they need it to be really really fast and when you're tinkering it's also really important, like Crystal said, is you're going to end up getting to a point probably where you're, the dog's going to like do something really weird. And there's a lot of times where, you know what, let's go back and reinforce that, no, I just need you to put nose on odor because I don't need the extra paw. I don't need the muzzle punch. I don't need some of the other stuff. Just get your nose close to odor.
0: I also want to mention something that Crystal's been talking about a lot and how it all kind of fits into this is creativity. Yes. So we hear, you know, like this is I mean, art teacher, right? Creativity is like huge. So the creativity I think is so much a big part of this. Because it without the creativity, it's hard to come up with different permutations or different types different ways of trying to figure out how to accomplish your goal and seeing
1: what works. That's where a lot of people get stuck in a training method. And so I really think that the cross training is, is so key here because we can take things from everything they're learning from trick stuff. And I can take it from IGP stuff and Mondio and, you know, even similar sports and agility. And I just love taking from all the, like I took weight pull things that I learned there and brought it into Mondio because of how to pull into the harness. And it's yeah. so cool that the the more that you expand your understanding and train with others and other areas, you can bring that together. And then you can use those little pieces because I'll tell you, I would never teach articles the way that I taught them. or I mean, not art, not even articles, but just a long down. So here, I'm going to ask you guys a question. I'm going to give my answer first. That way I give you some time to think about it. I just thought about a story I want to share. And so while I'm sharing a story, I'll put it into a question. I want you guys to share a memorable time that you have a tinkering success story. So that gives you a moment to think about it. And you don't have to answer anything about my story. So you don't have to listen to me right now. Okay. So with (laughs) Yukon, I he really struggles with being idle. That's not a strength for him. So I worked on lots of different ways of, of working on that. And one of the things I did was I used competition. So I needed to have a 10 to 15 minute long down and I needed to be 20 feet away. So one of the avenues I used was I used competition. So between him and Quinn, because Quinn had a solid down and if Quinn stayed down, which he would, and Yukon got up, I would go reward Quinn. And Yukon would give me that look. Oh my gosh, it was the best look ever. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> And Quinn's like, yeah, that's what you do, son. (laughs) And so the competition factor really helped him understand that, oh, I need to stay here if I want to get the tasty stuff too. But here's where I took tinkering to the next level. So when I didn't have Quinn, what can I do with just my dog in a field? Well, he understands to down at cadaver source. So if I take an article... And an article that we use in IGP for tracking, and I make it smell like cadaver source, and I set that down. He's going to down on that. So now I've made my articles more easy for him to understand what he's supposed to do with them. So it gives him another way of learning it. And when I want to work on a long down, if I put an article down, he will now down because there's an article, and it gives him a job. It gives him something to focus on. And because duration is so hard. I would walk over, I would pick up that article, I would give him another article in front of him and maybe that article might have a cadaver smell with it. And so then he was like, oh, game on, I know what I'm supposed to do now. And it would help him refocus on what he's supposed to do. And then I could switch that with another article. And so I could get a 20 minute downstay and only go back to him twice. And in those two times that I went back, I didn't say anything to him. I just simply switched an article, but it gave him a job. So that then on the next rep, I could go over and I could take the article away. I could walk over and he still knew his job. And I would just build on that duration. I would never teach that that way to another dog. Like that was me tinkering with him to help him understand. Because I had to teach him like six different ways to do one behavior. And the six different ways finally clicks in his brain at some point. So I, I wouldn't tell others to do it that way. But that's what worked for us. So, who wants to share a tinkering success story? So,
2: this comes back to the puppy training. And it's actually Flare. It was really, really interesting for me because prior to Flare, I had Dash, Nico, and Ember. And every single one of them almost immediately were like offering sits and all sorts of things. And I was like, oh, So we'll just start the cap work with Flair and it'll be fine. Well, I struggled with her probably two or three days before I finally figured out she didn't know how to sit on cue with any type of cue whatsoever. And I mean, I went through cap work. I went through treats and holding treats places and all sorts of things. And she's just looking at me like, no, humans feed me when I'm standing. And I had to tinker around with her a little bit to really just get across to the idea of, no, you just sitting actually works. That was a really minute tinker. I can also think of tinkering with Nico on scent theory problems on how to get through to him that you don't alert on odor pools. And it finally came down to the perp walk that we had to do this summer. With him of literally, we Crystal set up a really, really nice problem because it was it turned into let's set up odor pools. He could work through them. But when it came down to that, it was a blind odor pool, because we also had to figure that out, that for him it was, I'm gonna offer an alert on an odor pool. And literally this was enough of a correction for him that I just looked at him and said, nope grabbed him by his collar, and perp walked him back to the car. I'm pretty sure he thought that was like the worst thing ever. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) Yeah, he was so abused.
0: I do have an example. And this is one that I was trying to come up with a solution for something that was bothering me. So the way I kind of tinkered and then incorporated what I came up with into how I teach and how I trade my dogs like all and, and how I teach every like all my dog all the my students from like their first end of introduction and nose work and everything because I was watching the the issue that I was seeing is the issue of I needed my dogs to be able to understand how to solve Close proximity hides. So we could have hides, um, especially as the the levels get higher. You know, I've seen hides just a couple feet apart from each other. And I needed, and and there was all, I kept seeing this conflict that was happening between people would say, well, do you you repay? Do you you keep paying the dog back the hide and they keep returning to it? Or do you not repay? And I'm sitting here thinking, all right, you're changing the rules on the dog. The dog, if you don't. And if you keep paying the dog at the high that they've already found, well, why would they find the other one in close proximity? And it was just like this like thing that was just kind of like in my head. I'm like, there's, there's a better solution here. And it's one of these things where you start thinking about like your other sports and what you do, like your cross training that we are talking about. Well, if I'm teaching a duration behavior and, you know, I'd say like a stay or or anything like that might release you for a day or a duration behavior. Really, like If I do like a start line stay in agility is okay. Or, you know, if I do like a, like a stay and I want to just release them, it's okay. Or if they're waiting at an open door, it's okay. So I know a lot of people use a different word, but that's the word I use. But I started to think, I'm like, what if I release a hide? So that is the same concept if i teach the, the that cue and other aspects like in duration behaviors then i apply that to a hide and so i started to tinker with it a little bit where i would start to use the word okay after reinforcing the dog so not necessarily releasing the duration of the alert behavior i'm not releasing the alert. And actually releasing the hide. And it turned out to work so well that it's also now the way that I do the downshift in between, let's say, I do like tour reward or something like that or something that gets that arousal kind of up and excitement or maybe I do toy reward or a lot of, I teach a lot of students that do like food play and um, how to get the dog into kind of a more of a focused state. And I found Now that through tinkering, that using now this cue, okay, before asking the dog to find another hide, it allows the dog to do that downshift. So it's kind of like just a little bit of experimentation. Now I'm incorporating that into everything I do. So after I reinforce the dog, it's okay, find another, and now they're learning to not go back to previously found hides. You know, in trials, you know, for a time, right? And it, it's doing it without the conflict that I was seeing before. There's greater clarity. So there's so much more clarity without the conflict. And it helps with that downshift. So now it's
2: all tinkering. Nice. I, well, and I think of how much tinkering I've done with Nico and trying to figure the arousal states out for his out. And finally, oh, yeah. Right. And finally, tinkering with it enough that we could get enough repetitions in on a certain set of behaviors so that I am getting it out. (laughs) And so that takes, and tinkering comes, it's problem solving when you've inadvertently trained something you may not have wanted sometimes.
1: We're tinkering with something right now with an out. We have a dog that's uh, very food motivated, but also very possessive. And when you have a dog drop something, they can eat the food, but then you can't pick the toy up and they see it because there's a lot of conflict. But for whatever reason, if they eat the food and then the toy is behind them and you pick it up, it just feels like they don't care about that. Like there's no conflict there. So what we are doing is we have two bowls and we have a cue for eat the food out of the bowl. So okay. the dog has the toy. I've let them have the toy. It's a, a bite wedge. Then we say bowl. They go over to eat the food out of the bowl. They, they drop the bite wedge. Then there's another bowl that's almost behind them. And we cue bowl again, right as they're eating that last piece, they leave that bowl to go eat the bowl that's behind them. I pick up the bite wedge. When the dog eats from the second bowl, they turn around and they're ready to start working again. Interesting. And so it made it so clean and it took all the conflict out of the out. Wow. So we're just kind of tinkering with that. We just did that this week to, try, you know, try to see, you know, because we we had the the bowl idea and then it was like, okay, we we still have some conflict. So what else can we do? We're like, and I got another bowl? You know, so it was just in the moment, just kind of playing.
2: And that's that's having that great little tribe. That can help be like, hey, let's try this, right? And I think that yes, that's really yes. important.
0: Or there's like the whole tinkering with criteria. Right. So, you know, the days the that I was doing with powder, it's like a gain now on the back flyer door at home, right? It's like putting her into a fifth day. How many ways can I add some challenges? Because she is all, she wants to go out and get her green ball or whatever, right? So I'm adding time, I'm adding, I'm going behind her, I'm actually throwing the green ball towards her, like all of these things. So it's just like a little bit of, can I change? Can I push the criteria this way? Can I push it that way? And then what I'm seeing is that start to translate to her phase when she's not behind the flight or when she's not
1: there at, at the Oprah, with the lighter. Right. And really what you just said is it's all training. And if we think about it, really, we're just manipulating our D's, all four of them. All st-
2: <laughs> yeah. Ah, okay. All six. You're cute. All
0: six of them.
2: <laughs> okay,
1: guys. So we at takeaways already? We, ha- we are at takeaways already. Yeah. Oh, no, you're kidding. You're I kidding. I still have more things I wanted to mention. That's okay.
2: I know. Oh my God. Hit it on a pause and maybe we'll do, it, do a tinkering part two. And maybe tinkering and creativity or something. So give
1: me takeaways. So I'll, I'll say court again, because it was earlier. So court is your criteria, your observation, which is reading the dog. Your understanding, which is understanding your criteria, understanding what you're trying to achieve, then your rate of reinforcement or reinforcement in general. And then the T is for your timing, which is so important. But what I was really thinking about is listening is that we need to have tinkering with purpose. And I think that's a really important piece of this, and that we have to be thoughtful about the results. And that's where the observation piece comes in. And so it's the result when i say results too i mean that's the before the behavior the behavior and what's going to happen after the behavior and then we have to adjust so i think that's where the tinkering with purpose is so important and if we keep that playful and curious spirit it's going to allow us to be able to tinker and i was thinking about you know if someone says i don't know enough to be able to start to tinker how would i help them start tinkering and I think what I would say is to build confidence, you need to have things that you've taught before or things that you have a good plan of teaching. And maybe if there's one little piece of it that you're like, yeah, I haven't got a good grasp of that. Maybe you could allow them to play a little through that piece and build your confidence because tinkering is about you adjusting and being flexible in the moment. And that's what's so hard. But what's really cool about tinkering is that it, gives you a a more problem-solving ability, but it gives you a deeper understanding of your dog's individual learning style and preferences. And I think that's the part that's so important to me.
0: It's just really hard to follow you, that's all. It's just, wait, we should have made you go last.
1: I know, we should have made
2: you go
0: last. (laughs) It's just like, yeah, because it's just like, well, this is going to be problematic.
2: Oh, stop, go ahead.
0: (laughs) Okay. What are your takeaways?
2: Stacey's, what's your takeaway?
0: Well, I was going to say, I, it's not going to be nearly as, as soon or, or anything, but uh-huh. think about your fundamentals. Like if you're trying to figure out how to start tinkering other than all the amazing Well, think about like, always go back to the very core basic pieces of what you learn. When you start thinking about things as, being very complex and big, it's very easy to start really having messy, like not to say really messy, but very behavior chains that are going to build in stuff that you don't want. I'll put it that way. So if you start to see that sort of thing happen, try to pare it down to the fundamentals that you do know. Ask yourself about the quality of the fundamentals. If the quality of the fundamental is not there, that's your answer. That's what you need
2: to really be painted. And I think because you guys did a really, really good job of summarizing some other takeaways, I think my takeaway is going to be find someone who can help you tinker by bouncing ideas off of them and so it kind of goes back to find your tribe and I have different bona friends for kind of other things that I have going on with dogs right and so just because somebody isn't one of your regular training partners doesn't mean they can't be a creativity guru or help you tinker so can I add to yours
1: yes go right ahead use (laughs) don't think it as only using the people that do the thing that you want help in. Correct. I found that the people outside of the thing that I'm doing are often the ones that are most creative because they don't really know how it's supposed to be done in air quotes. I
2: will tell you hands down doing bird dog work with you this summer was probably not the way a lot of bird dog people start their dogs, but you know what? <laughs> Banded up was the same spot as everybody else. So I'm all good. You don't think that they're going to use
1: kiddie pools and things for...
2: Probably not, not to, not, no. Okay. I don't think I'm still so. excited about that. I know. We're going to try that this summer. So...
0: Um, I thanks... want to find out more about that later.
2: <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> Very
0: fun. It just sounds, sounds fun.
2: <laughs> thanks everybody for coming along with this on this little entertaining journey. And please give us some ideas of how you tinkered... On, out on Facebook, on our social media posts. We would love to hear about it. Go train.
1: Canine Detection Collaborative! We appreciate the time you spend with us. If you liked this episode, not only should you follow us so you don't miss the next one, but please also rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. For info on collaborating with us, go to k9 caninedetectioncollaborative.com. That's K-9-detectioncollaborative.com. number where you can find our socials and pick up our latest monthly freebie. Join us again to talk training in the next episode.